Here's a name for you, Shepard Fairey. Shepard Fairey is an American street artist and activist. Uh, the Institute of Contemporary Art out in Boston has him as one of the most influential and famous street artists. He has his work in some of the most famous museums like the Smithsonian or the Museum of Modern Art out in New York. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. I had no idea who this guy was before I started writing this sermon, but maybe some of you who are more artistically inclined know who he is. Shepard Fairey is the artist behind this famous image. If you don't know what this is, this is the Barack Obama Hope poster that was so uh, in instrumental in his campaign back in 2008. I remember seeing this image everywhere. People were recreating it. They might have added a different face or maybe added a different word underneath. But this was so instrumental into uh, or in Obama's campaign back then. And it was the first time I really saw an image really draw people in and, and captivate people and really rally people up together. And I think it might have had to do with this word hope. Interestingly enough, uh, the artist, Shepard, uh, when he first made this image, he didn't have the word hope in there. He actually had the word progress. But when Obama's team approached him and said, hey, we'd love for you to be a part of our team and be a part of the campaign, can you change it to the word hope? Now, part of that was because of his book, Obama's book. But this word hope, it means a lot to people, right? It can rally people up and bring people in. And so let's, I, let's, let's define this word hope first before we keep going. Hope um, in the dictionary is defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's forward thinking. It's looking maybe into the future for something and you hope in something to happen. You hope for something to happen. And I was talking to our former lead pastor, Lucas, um, we were chatting and catching up and he's doing great by the way. But I was telling him about this passage that I'm going to be preaching on out in Romans. And we were talking about hope. And he told me something interesting. He told me that hope is heavy. That hope is really heavy. And oftentimes we are taking this heavy hope and we're placing it onto certain things. And so in the same way you may take an object and you may place it on a table, that's the same thing we do with our hope. We take our hope and we place it in people, in places, in ideas. But the thing is, our hope is really heavy and sometimes we place it on things that just cannot bear the weight and that they ultimately, they, they fail us. After Obama served his two terms, Shepard Ferry was asked, do you think Obama has lived up to your hope poster? He responded, not even close. Now, this is not a political statement. I'm not anti-Obama or pro-Obama. Please don't hear anything. Um, please don't email me saying that Brandon hates Obama. No, I actually would love to play basketball with Obama. Uh, Obama, if you are watching this sermon for some reason, uh, we have a beautiful basketball court here at Bayview, and I would love to shoot around with you or play one-on-one. -on -one. Just 
let me know. Um, but this is not a political statement. And, and I don't know if, if Shepard necessarily put his full hope in Obama or, or his campaign or his presidency. But what I do know and what I do gather when you just look around is that people are always trying to place their hope on something, on some metaphorical table. Maybe for you it's power or politics or maybe for you it's money or maybe it's just yourself. Like maybe you can just hope in yourself so you don't have to hope in anything else. Like why not, right? I know myself, I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses. And so if I can build myself up to be this ideal person, then I don't need to hope in anything else that might fail me. I can just hope in myself. Does that sound familiar? Or maybe you hope in relationships, right? Maybe a significant other and you've put all your hope in them or a family member and they have failed you. And then you felt the pain of that failure. And so we are all looking for somewhere to put our hope. And so my question to you is where does your hope lie? Like, where are you placing your hope? Now, oftentimes uh, we place our hope in something that can't bear the weight. And some of those things are actually good and necessary. But the danger of hoping in things like money or yourself is that they might actually become your full hope. The danger is that they become the thing that you are chasing after. But as we've already shared that oftentimes, if not every single time, those things just put us to shame as Paul might say. And so today we're in the book of Romans. And if you're just joining us for the first time, Paul is the author of the book of Romans. And I'm really excited for where we're going because we're gonna unpack this idea of hope and this statement right here that saying that hope in God will always lead you to joy. That hoping in God, looking to God and hoping in who he is will always leave you with joy. It'll always lead you to rejoicing as Paul is going to say. And I love what N.T. Wright says about these verses right now. He says that hope is where this passage is going. And so let's go because I know we need to place our hope somewhere. Today we're in Romans chapter five, like I said, we are in verse is one to 11, and we're gonna start off in verse one, and it says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this does such a good job at uh, reminding us of where we've already been. And so chapters one to four can very briefly be summarized by this, that we, have been justified by faith. That we are now righteous, we are declared righteous, we are in right standing before God, not because of anything that we do, not because, we're, we, not because we do more good things than bad things, but solely by our faith in God, by putting our active trust in God. And so we've been justified by faith and in Romans chapter, uh, one to four. But chapter five is actually pretty interesting because uh, biblical scholars mentioned that there might be a shift in the tone here. That whereas chapter, chapters one to four 
may have been more of a dialogue with a hypothetical interlocutor. This is Paul switching the tone saying that, well, what do we do now? Now that we have been justified by our faith, like now what? What is the Christ follower, the Christian's response to this justification? There's another thing that I can note here to, to kind of exemplify a shift in tone. In these 12 verses, the word we is used 16 times. And so just that shift into the first person, Paul is saying, now what do we do? What are we called to do? What is our position here? And so let's keep reading. Verse 2 to 5 says this, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These verses are some of my all-time favorites. Um, Every year, I choose a passage and a, and a, a block of verses to really center my life around that year, just to kind of memorize and really meditate over. And a few years ago, a few years ago, this um, was that passage. And I loved it because it reminded me that hoping, hoping in God will always lead me to joy. Right here it says it. We rejoice, we have joy in the hope of the glory of God. And so what is, what is this hope that we have in, in the glory of God? Well, it, it means that we are hoping in the full expression of God's kingdom, that we can look forward to um, God's kingdom that he is going to bring to this earth, how he restores this earth and the world that we are, are living in. And so, so what do I mean by that? Well, as, as Christ followers, we get to experience his joy now, right? In our day-to-day, we are in this, in this tension, um, as uh, some scholars might say, as this already but not yet. So we're already experiencing God's joy. We get to um, be benefit, beneficiaries of his blessing on us. But there's also this not yet where we are looking forward to and we're hopeful for a future where it says in Revelations 21, where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation goes on to say that God is making all things new. And so that is the kingdom that we already are looking forward to, where God's full expression, full reign defeats evil, wipes away every tear. But at the same time, we actually get to experience God's joy and blessing right now as we go out and Um, We live out God's mission. And so we have this expectation of a future that we can hope in and and desire, but we also get to live in it right now. See, there are times in my life uh, where I've been putting my hope in things that didn't last, that really couldn't handle the weight of my hope. Some of those might have been relationships or jobs but almost every time, if not every time, they would fail me. And they would leave me wanting more, knowing that these things were never really going to satisfy me or fulfill 
my hope, and they would always fail. But see, what God wants us to know is that not only will his hope not put you to shame, as Paul would say, but you'll actually find joy. Like you'll actually be able to rejoice in this new hope, in this future that we get to look forward to. And that sounds like something we need right now. Up to this point, I've been making, I've been pointing out a difference between the hope of this world and hoping in God and how one hope leads you to shame, as Paul says right here, and as he's inferring here, uh, it fails you. It, it leaves you desiring more. And it definitely doesn't lead you to this ultimate glory of this everlasting future with God. And maybe you've actually felt the pain of placing your, your misplaced hope uh, in other things, in the things of this world. And so one of the things that this verse actually does is that actually shows us where our hope is and whether if your hope isn't really in God. And now that might be easy for the person that doesn't believe in God, right? I don't, I don't believe in God, so obviously I don't put my hope in him. And so let me just talk to the Christian. If you call yourself a Christ follower, let me talk to you for a second because it is so easy for Christians to say, well, I believe in God, but they never really put their hope in him. And so verse three really calls that out and helps us understand where does your hope actually lie? If you really believe in God, how do you know that your hope is in him? Well, when was the last time you rejoiced in your suffering? When was the last time you looked, as, looked at your suffering as maybe an opportunity? Maybe your suffering is actually a good thing. Now, hear me out. Christians aren't supposed to go around being superficially bubbly. And uh, when times are tough, you're not supposed to go around smiling and just kind of brush it off, right? That would be ingenuine, right? Like I just got a, a puppy a few days ago. And let me tell you, when he pees on the carpet, I'm not clapping my hands and saying, good job, right? I'm not happy and ecstatic and, and exalting um, God and saying, thank you for this suffering. Thank you for this turmoil. I'm not doing that because that would be ingenuine. And so that's not what Paul is trying to get at here. What he wants us to do and what he's hoping is that when we have our hope in God, it shifts our perspective on what suffering is. That suffering is actually an opportunity to grow our hope because it produces hope. When you hope in God, you get more hope, right? It leads you to joy, right? Suffering isn't always just a bad thing that maybe the world might see it and put it as. See, as a Christian, when our hope is in God, we don't look at it as necessarily only a bad negative thing. We don't pretend to be happy, but we do look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to grow our hope. Another way, um, and actually Doug Moo, Douglas Moo, a biblical scholar, he would put it is that hope, hoping in God is like a muscle. Um, I studied kinesiology in university and one of our courses, actually a few of our courses, talked about this use it or lose it principle. Essentially, uh, when you have a muscle, uh, if you don't use it and if you neglect it and uh, aren't always training, you lose the beneficial effects of that training. And so 
if you go to the gym, uh, you know what I'm talking about, especially now um, in this time of lockdown where the gyms are closed. Um, you probably train a little bit less and maybe you're starting to lose some of the, the gains um, as you might have had. And hope is very much like that. Hoping in God is very similar to that. In the same way that you may exercise a muscle to grow it and train it, we have to exercise the hope that we have. And, and one of the things that hard times and suffering does is it gives us that opportunity to grow our hope. And I want to be clear here, God doesn't cause your suffering, right? God isn't going out here saying like, uh, I'm going to make you suffer. I'm going to make you suffer so that you'll hope in me. No, God doesn't cause your suffering, but he will use your suffering. God doesn't cause your suffering, but he will use your suffering. I mentioned earlier that I have a, a degree in kinesiology and Obviously, I'm not working in that field right now, but when I graduated, I realized I didn't want to work in that field, and um, that was really scary, right? I felt like maybe I wasted all those years. Like, why did I do that, and what am I going to do now, right? I have this degree, but I'm, I don't want to work in it, and it left me realizing that maybe I had put my hope in that. In, in this education, in this idea of maybe I can grab this job in the future and create this, this life that I think would be ideal. But uh, a verse, verses like this um, and around the same time reminded me that I need to remind myself of where my hope really is. That, remind, remind, that I need to remind myself that I had to trust in God and put my hope in Him. And I like to think that, that some of those things worked out when I really realigned and, and refocused my hope back on God. And that time where I was, I was scared and I didn't know what I was going to do, um, I looked at it as an opportunity to put my hope in God and really grow my hope. Let's even look at the audience that Paul would have been addressing in this letter. Right? We know that Paul was talking to the Roman church back then and Back then, that church was really small. Like, it was not the big Roman church that we might know today or in the future. In the beginning, it was really small, and they were going up against this massive Roman empire. And so being a small body of believers, they faced hardships. They faced persecution. But those hardships produced endurance. And one of the early markers of the church was that they were people marked with joy. That they were people who, even in their sufferings, even being this small church that was being persecuted, they still rejoiced. And I think that's so relevant to us today that we need to be, us as followers of Christ, need to be marked not by what we believe, not just by uh, what we're against, like I, I've mentioned before, but we need to be marked by our joy. That when people look at us, we don't see people that are always just fighting and arguing and letting, forcing what we believe down their throats. But maybe we're marked by people who rejoice in tough times, who have this unexplainable joy as they walk around and as they interact and, and are a part of God's mission. And so you now may be asking me, well, how can I have this hope? How can I be rest assured that my hope is actually in God 
And maybe I need to shift my perspective and shift my hope back into God. Well, verses six to eight are going to do that for us. They're going to explain just how we can shift our hope back into God. And what it is, it's based in God's love. Paul wants, us to, remind, Paul wants to remind us of God's love. In other words, we need to look back to move forward. We need to look back at what God has done in this glorious, um, amazing act of love that Jesus died on the cross, that huge love that he had for us. We need to look back at that to remind us and move forward into the hope that we have in God. And so let's read. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what Paul is saying right here is that uh, the capacity of human love Maybe it would make sense for you to die or to lay your life down for a good person or someone that you really, really favor and really love, right? Maybe your best friend or spouse. But you know how much Jesus loves you? He died for the enemy of him, that he died for the rebellious one, the person that was so far away from him. Paul knows this very well because that was him. Paul was an enemy of Jesus. If you know Paul's story, you know that he was the person persecuting Christians, that he was going out there and um, murdering them and fighting up against this Christian movement, this Jesus movement. But Jesus showed favor to Paul and he shows favor to you. He died for you. When he went up on that cross, he had you in mind. And again, not because of anything you've done, right? This is not a reward because you, check, you, you uh, checked off a bunch of things on, on a list and maybe you did more good things than bad. It's not because of that. It's purely based on God's love. And so we look back at this great act of love to remind us of the hope that we have. We look back at what Jesus did to know that we can put our hope in him. Uh, Verses 9 to 10 are going to round out this point for us. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want to note a couple of important things Paul does here. Uh, First thing he does is rabbis back in the day would have used um, this literary device called, uh, excuse uh, my pronunciation, Cal or Homer. It's also known as light and heavy. And so generally speaking, when you're making an argument, you would go, uh, you would prove something small to help prove the bigger point, right? You would start off light to get to the heavy, but Paul, what he does is he actually does the opposite. He, said, he starts off by saying, God did this amazing thing. He justified you by his blood. More shall 
we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So he did this massive thing. He justified you. He justified you. So we can be rest assured that he will do this lighter thing. Right? Maybe in our eyes, it might not be that light, but comparatively being justified by his blood when we didn't even deserve it, we can be rest assured that we will be saved from the wrath of God. Verse 10 is, is kind of like a parallel to that. And he says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So much more, right? Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Again, he did this massive thing and he reconciled us, right? He brought us into a relationship with him. And so we can be rest assured that we are going to be good and we will be saved by his life. I think that's good news. I think that is really good news and that we can trust that this hope that we have in God is going to hold, that it's going to be able to hold this heavy hope that we have placed on him. And so as we live in a world where things have uh, failed us so often that we've hoped in things, in people, ideas, places, we've hoped in these things that have failed us so often we're actually starting to hope less. Like the, we've gone and hoped in things and they keep failing us. And so we're now more anxious about the future. The, the people are actually believing that maybe we should just stop hoping entirely. And maybe that, that's you. Maybe you have stopped hoping and you're just trying to get by. And so I think the beauty, beauty of, of being a follower of Christ and, and being a Christian is that where there is suffering, where there is a lack of hope, we actually get to step into that. We actually get to step into the world and bring hope back because there is almost just a lack of hope entirely. We can say, hey, there is better. We can say that there is a hope that won't fail you that won't leave you broken, wanting more. There is a hope in God that will lead, lead you to joy. And verse 11 kind of ties all this perfectly together and just leaves us with a call and a draw. And he says, we also rejoice in God. And so for us, what are we called to do? Well, we're called again to be people marked by joy. We're called to rejoice in God. As we look back at what God has done for us, how he reconciled us, how he justified us, we now can bring joy into the hope based on what we know and what we believe. That this, Paul, Paul's pretty much explaining that this is now our posture. We are people of joy. Other, other translations have this word rejoice as exalt, and so we worship God. And we do that obviously by song and, and we're going to do that right after this in, in worshiping God. But we also know that worship is how we live our lives, right? We worship, uh, we worship God in, in every aspect of our life. And so how are you rejoicing God in every aspect of your life? When we go into the world and we interact with our friends who don't know Christ, we need to be people just like the early Christians who are marked with our joy in the hope that we have found. And so let me leave you with this. Here's something that we can tangibly do 
as, as followers of Christ in our own lives. The next time that someone asks you to pray for them, maybe they're going through a tough time. Maybe they're going through a point of suffering. We come alongside them. We pray for them. But let's also remind them of the hope that they have. Right? That we get to, again, experience joy now and we can pray for blessing now. But we also have hope in the future in God. That we can hope for something better and that of one day that all our, all our tears will be wiped away and that God is making all things new. Let's remind each other of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. God, we exalt your name. We thank you and we rejoice in who you are. We rejoice in what you have done. We rejoice in the fact that we've been justified. So God, would you remind us of the hope that we have in you, the hope that we get to experience right now already? But then would you remind us that we have a future glory to look forward to? So God, today, right now, would we be marked by our joy as we head out into the world, as we interact with friends and family, as things are starting to open up and we can be in relationship uh, more naturally? God, would people notice how much joy we have, even when we're going through tough times? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.